Welcome to Feminized. It's time for a show that turns the spotlight on the powerful women shaping cannabis culture. The cannabis industry is on fire and women are sparking it up. If you like the show, please subscribe. You can also subscribe to the Feminized podcast with Liz Grow on YouTube and Instagram. The future is feminized. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, oil and gas attorney and candidate for the next Texas Railroad Commissioner, Sarah Stogner. Now, Sarah recently forced the incumbent into a runoff election happening May the 24th. The position of Texas Railroad Commissioner is super important to Texans because it controls all oil and gas and it's a six year term. Now, I support Sarah because of her intelligence, her real life experience in oil and gas, and because she's pro-cannabis. She's also got balls bigger than Texas. So y'all, enjoy this conversation and be sure to get to the polls on May 24th and vote for Sarah Stogner for Railroad Commissioner. Let's go, Sarah! Hey, sis. You're now listening to the Feminized Podcast. Thank Sarah you. Stogner, next Texas Railroad Commissioner, here to the Feminized Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here, Sarah. So um, tell me about your background. You're running for Texas Railroad Commissioner. I so. am. So the railroad commissioner, what do they do first? Right? Yeah, okay. we'll start there. What okay. do they do? They right, They have nothing to do with railroads since 2005. So history of it back in the late 1800s when the railroads started coming through Texas. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, that term, people getting railroaded. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, they were coming in and screwing everyone along the way. And so <laughs> one, of, one of the uh, candidates for governor ran on a platform that one of his platforms was, we're going to create a commission that essentially prevents abuse by the railroads that to protect private property rights. And so that started, and then a few years later, they added oil and gas to those responsibilities. So right now, the Texas Railroad Commission has jurisdiction over the drilling of oil and gas wells in operation, intrastate pipelines, so as long as it doesn't cross borders, it's within the state of Texas, and surface mining, so for things like coal, lignite, and uranium. Uh, they have not had any jurisdiction over railroads since 05. So that's where we are right now. Okay, so the question was, what's my background? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just where are you from? Start start there, okay. Yeah. Start there. Okay, that's I want to know how you easy. got to be here. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So born in Huntsville, Alabama. My parents were high school sweethearts. They're both from Alabama. We moved to South Florida because my dad's an aerospace engineer. So I'm basically a civilian army brat. Florida, California, parents got divorced, mom moved me back to Alabama, thought I wanted to be an engineer, took calculus my senior year of high school and had already applied to colleges thinking I wanted to be an engineer, Was got to integrals and was like, yeah, no, I'm not down for more calculus. And so <laughs> then we, uh, I got a, a letter from LSU saying, hey, we've got spring testing with my AP credits. I went scholarship because I didn't know what I wanted to do, right, yeah. at that point. So. I went to LSU, stayed for, met a boy, stayed for him in law school, got rid of that boy, moved to New Orleans, met a different boy, moved out to Texas, got rid of that one, and now here we are in Texas loving it, and uh, moved out onto a cattle ranch last summer, and we had some issues with oil and gas operations, and I realized that the only way to fix the issues was to run, because it is corruption and incompetence at the very highest levels of government. Wow. Tell me more about that. Why do you say that? Yeah. Okay. So let me back up. I'm an oil and gas lawyer. I have represented oil and gas companies 
service companies that work for oil and gas companies and then the pipeline companies, the midstream companies for 14 years mm -hmm. on really nerdy contractual issues. So risk allocation, you know, when something bad happens, accidents happen, how do you allocate that risk, mm -hmm. making sure you have insurance for it. When you have insurance and the insurance company doesn't pay, you sue the insurance company. So that's my background. Oh, wow. So how did you get into oil and gas? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Louisiana and Texas are both very, you know, intensive in oil and gas. And Got I it. took mineral rights in law school and really enjoyed it from an intellectual standpoint, mm. from what, what hydrocarbons have done for the world, the future, uh, kind of the tension between the environmental issues and bringing people out of poverty because, right, modern day life would not be possible without hydrocarbons. But we also used to use whale blubber, too. So at some point we need to move on. Right. Um, but yeah, I just always liked that tension and then naturally got involved because that's where people needed lawyers and kind of the rest is history. Right. Did you find that um, there were many females in that in that area of law or were you kind of the only one? You know, on the <laughs> law side, it's pretty even okay. for, you know, representation from lawyers. But sure. in the oil field, oh, heck no. I mean, I'm still very much a minority, you know. Right, right. What, what's that like for you? I mean, I mean, it's been 15 years, so it obviously doesn't bother you. Um, but, you know, I guess I, I digress, but it really sounds like something scary to me. No, I mean, <laughs> the cannabis industry is male-dominated, too. Absolutely. And that's what's so funny, right? That, and we'll get there, I'm sure. But there's so many different overlaps between the oil and gas industry and the cannabis industry that mm. people don't realize. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, so you grow it, you get it out of the ground, you have to process it. You use the same sort of processing for cannabis as we do for oil and gas, believe it or not. What? Um, like extraction? Is that what we're talking refining about? It? Refining yeah. it, you know, yeah. You're using CO2 or you're using ethanol or, right, like there's similar types of chemical processes. Uh -huh. And then the end user. So um, the different forms, hydrocarbons, you know, from gasoline to jet fuel to pharmaceuticals to plastics, right, everything right. in life. Um, so it's really interesting that... Just like we can use cannabis for building materials and textiles and medicine and all that, same thing. So it's it's eerily, people don't understand. And then once they start realizing, they're like, wow. So um, I forgot what the question was. No, no, I love it. Well, well, you know, the question, I, I, you know, I was just making really more of an observation. You know, you're, you're surrounded, you know, it feels oh, like yes, you're surrounded by men in the moral yes. in, in the oil field. Um, whereas, yes, cannabis is male-dominated, but, you know, it's a female plant, so I always mm. feel like she's got my back. Yes. You know, when I'm going to grow, it's just like, oh, we're good. I got all my girls kind here. Kind like Mother Earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then um, as a railroad commissioner, being responsible for what comes out of the ground or getting to, to really um, have the last say in regulations about what's coming out of the ground, I mean, yeah, that is very, um, that does feel like it's a cannabis, uh, akin to cannabis. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's fun. So what do you, t um, you know, you, you, you bring up a, you brought up a great topic, right? A topic that we're really passionate about, um, specifically cannabis and hemp and how it can replace, um, you know, petroleums and, and replace a lot of the, the bad stuff that we have, um, all around us. Right. And I say that as a lay person, it can replace all the bad stuff we have around us. 
but um, you know, per percentage-wise, if we're able to offset a little bit of the um, plastic, for instance, with a <clears throat> bioplastic, you know, or hemp plastic. I mean, it's not the entire thing is a hemp plastic piece, but we're doing a good job if we can offset 30% of that petroleum. Yeah. Um, what? How? Talk to me more about that. Educate me on that, if you can. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I know enough to know that I don't know a lot. Right. Right? Similar situated. Sure, um, sure. But from my perspective, where we are is that there's, um, and I don't know a nice way to put it, but, right, for the past hundred years, the oil and gas industry has known how important it is, right? That right. They, they understand modern day life and they understand the reality is of turning the lights on and mm -hmm. right now we're paying five dollars a gallon for gas right so mm -hmm. um they also have no incentive to adopt other alternatives because they like people being dependent on them right okay yeah. um but so we've got solar we've got wind right we've got alternatives but neither of those are and i keep saying this there's no such thing as green energy right like energy costs it has impacts and so with wind you've got a fiberglass in the turbines where do those turbines go you've got a lot of concrete to to have a base for those things and then you've got trucks going around to check on them and to lubricate them they take oils and then solar panels we've got glass panels made in China with slave labor and we need heavy metals and batteries take up a lot of rare earth minerals and right there's all these things and so I think as we move forward I'm hopeful that we don't we're not even scratching the surface yet of what we're capable of and right. so uh, we know that hemp can create like I said hempcrete and right we've mm -hmm. got all these things that different cannabis attributes can help supplement right. and evolve and so I think maybe if we're looking at 100, 1,000 years, I mean, 300 years ago, we were using whale blubber and we had no steam generation, right? Like right. Am, the, the way we've just exponentially uh, increased the quality of life mm -hmm. and that we're continuing to across the world. But I mean, people are still cooking with dung and burning wood. And yeah. right. So we've got this huge dichotomy of where we are, where the rest of the world is and where those opportunities are. Right. And the reason I decided to run is because I moved out onto a cattle ranch last summer. We have contaminated groundwater. An old well came unplugged. I thought it was a Chevron well. Chevron responded and I thought, oh good, Chevron is a super major company. They'll step up, they'll do the right thing. They've got enough money that it's not a big deal. And instead they went to the regulators, they complained. And the regulators said to the landowner, you're not allowed to contact us your attorney needs to contact our attorney. So if you're a criminal in the state of Texas, the state lawyer's up against you, or if you're a landowner complaining about oil and gas in the state of Texas, the state of Texas lawyer's up against you. Wow. Right? Wow. And so here we are again. Yeah. We've got like, we're <laughs> the, the state's bullying us on cannabis and the state's bullying us as landowners complaining about oil, like another. And so I, I just realized somebody's got to get in there and fix that. And Absolutely. I'm probably the only one stupid enough to take a pay cut and move to Austin for six years that actually has the qualifications and experience to understand what's happening, what needs to happen, and to be able to bring some common sense into the position and say, okay, guys, this isn't political. Like, we can't politicize oil and gas. We shouldn't be. It should be um, 
it should be. This is a Texan issue. Yes. This isn't a red or blue issue. This yes. is a Texan issue. Exactly. Yeah. Oh God, I love that. I love that. And I love all the comparisons that you're drawing to cannabis because, you know, of course, I, I think I, I've tried to loosely connect the dots, but of course, my mind is on cannabis 24-7. That's, you know, kind of what we do. So it really feels good to hear you naturally making those connections. Yeah. And I've been doing it for years, right? I've right. been saying years and years ago, uh, like the phytoremediation properties of hemp. Mm -hmm. So if, especially if you're using a textile hemp, you, we could go and co-locate hemp next to former oil and gas sites. So imagine being able to plant hemp. It then sucks the bad stuff out of the ground. And then you can take it and make it into whatever. Right. That, right. right. Building materials, right. textiles. Obviously, not, you don't want to Nothing consume that you're it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, why not? Or even just, what do they call, biomass? Like, yes. Then you can mm -hmm. use it for energy. Like, right? Absolutely. We could be taking and, but, oh my gosh, you start talking about that. And it's so funny because the oil and gas industry is so much very, in, in very many ways, still a good old boys, frat boy type club. Uh-huh. And a lot of them enjoy using cannabis, but they're not allowed to talk about it. Mm. And so when you start talking about the intersection, everyone's like, oh, no, that'll never work. And I'm like, just wait. It's coming. So here we are. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, where I met you was in a clubhouse room about cannabis. And I almost fell out of my chair when I clicked on your bio and saw that you were an oil and gas attorney. And... In your bio, there was almost nothing about cannabis, but you were very, very intelligent um, and well-spoken on the topic. Um, and so I, I'd love to know, you know, I, talk to me a little bit about your personal relationship with cannabis and why you feel it's important to have your voice out there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously I've liked cannabis for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. And in high school, really it all started in high school, my senior year of high school, I went to spring break in Panama City. And we had a joint. One of our friends, we were smoking on the beach. You know, we'd stayed at like the Motel 6 across the street because we were broke. So oh. six of us, you know, in a two-queen room yeah, yeah. <laughs> across the street in Panama City and had gone over to like the bougie condo and we're yeah. sitting on their lawn chairs at 10 o'clock at night and got in trouble. And the cops, the security got security called the cops. The cops showed up. You know, I was smart enough to like throw it into the sand. And then we had one kid with us whose dad was a doctor and he was one of these like pretentious pricks and he's like do you know who I am and I'm like they don't give a shit who you are oh, so anyways they didn't nothing bad happened they, they called my mom uh, like which was worse so I was like no can we call my dad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but called my mom and she's like you're gonna get in the car tomorrow and you're gonna come home and I got home and that was my senior year and at the end of that year she told me she was like you're no longer welcome in my home you're making these decisions that I disagree with and my dad, I talked oh. to my dad, and my dad's never used cannabis. Um, my mom hasn't either, but my dad said, Sarah, look, you're old enough, you're making your own decisions, whatever. And he says, but, and this has really stuck with me. He, he said, you can't lie and get away with it. Like you're just, and times, not only is it the wrong thing to do, mm -hmm. but I think he foreshadowed the technology that was coming. I mean, you know, this was 20 something years ago, right. uh, but the technology that was coming in, like you're gonna be watched and you're, can't talk out of both sides of your head anymore, right? right? And he said, so you need to be prepared that if you disagree with laws, to go and fight to change them. Mm. And that if you break them, be prepared to suffer the consequences. Mm. And so I have tried really hard to be authentic in discussing it. Right. Um, and I have my medical card in Oklahoma. Um, and 
you know, I think that once I started really researching into the human body and the endocannabinoid system and the fact that this is something God gave us. Right. Herb-bearing seed, Genesis 129. And that why don't they want us to have it? And then you look at the history mm. of, and it gives me chills. I mean, I spent two months in Mississippi last year in Natchez because I was going to open up a dispensary and then they changed the laws and good, good news. It looks like they're back on track, but, um, you know, really the history of the war on drugs and how it was used to imprison people of color and how it was vilified and the motivations of the people behind that. Right. And now how it's been bastardized by corporate America mm -hmm. because big pharma wants a piece, big alcohol, big tobacco all want a piece, right? So follow the money. So where are we now, right? I'm, I've openly been vocal about trying to promote the cannabis industry. Right. Um, and I made a decision a few years ago that I would suffer those consequences. So I am prepared to go to battle because I think it's so important. And just like we saw at the last prisoner project thing the other day, right? It's not just about legalizing it. It's about making right yeah. all of the families that have been destroyed mm -hmm. by the war on drugs. Absolutely. The families so. and the communities, um, you know, trying to repair yeah, some of those wrongs. Because, I mean, as a 17-year-old white girl from Alabama on spring break, what did they do? They called my mom yeah. and drove me home. Right. What if I had been a black man? Right. Probably wouldn't have ended no. the same way. Or, or a young black woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, you know, the, right, the wrong color of skin will get you, you know, many, many more years and much harsher consequences. And that's just a shame, um, you know, just the reality of the country that we live in right now. Um, but wow, I think that is, I think that's incredible. I think that's really incredible how you have um, made it a, a point to stand up for cannabis, cannabis rights. Um, well, and that's know. what it's going to take, right? Yeah. Because there are so many of us that are professionals that right. forever have used it. And again, that privilege of yes. not, you know, like they're not going to, what are they going to do for me? Like, yeah, what are know. they going to do to a lawyer who's who knows where, where, where she's getting her, her weed and you know, no, it, it's just nothing's going to happen to you. And then you're quietly just enjoying your cannabis while people are being locked up. Right. And that's just not okay. <laughs> no. And it's going to take more of us standing up and being like, it's not okay, guys, on both sides. Because I think if you look at the polling, 75% of Americans are ready to see it. Yes, yeah, 67% of Texans are open to a full adult use, um, you know, economy. Here and what Texas. else? Like, seriously, what else? I can't think of anything else in the entire spectrum of public policy issues that the majority of Republicans and Democrats both agree on. Right. right. So why can't our elected officials get it done? Right. Well, you know, Dan Patrick, as you know, he's, he's the uh, he's the cock block to cannabis in Texas. Yeah. And I think probably if you were to ask him confidentially, he's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. But what it, that's what the lobbyists, that's what the party line, right? And mm -hmm. where is that coming from? Follow the money. Yes, absolutely. Follow the money. So speaking of money, who's supporting your campaign? Me. <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, it's amazing. You really don't need a ton of money to run a campaign when you've got a social media presence and you actually know what you're talking about. Wow. And you're willing to get naked on a pump jack. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you brought that up. What an incredible. So we supported you, of course, before before we saw your um, blockbuster <laughs> campaign commercial. Tell me about how that came that idea came about and okay. bravo. Thank you. So 
we are filming a documentary right now kind of documenting the struggles on with the groundwater at the ranch and just all of the issues that we've had mm-hmm. so uh the the film crew was out in november we had been driving around all day mm-hmm. we were having fun and one of the photographers was like you know i have always wanted to film or photograph someone on like riding a pump jack right yeah and me being the good new orleans resident that i was have (laughs) a closet of costumes and tutus and wigs and pasties and eyelashes right and so i thought oh my gosh yeah why don't i get on pasties and a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and ride the pump jack and so it's funny because, I don't know, it's probably 10 feet in the air, probably as tall as these ceilings, right? And so you get to the top of the ladder, and then you have to sh- actually, like, make the thing. And it was fine getting to the top, and then I got to the top, and I had to, like, go swing my leg over, and I was like, oh, this is actually a little scary. And I mean, I'm a licensed pilot, so the fact that I'm, like, 10 feet up in the air, I'm like, I don't want to. So, uh, so I got up there, and we're sitting there, and he's like, and I'm like, okay, it's good. And he's like, no, that's not good. You look like a freak. You got to loosen up. So it took me like 20 or 30 minutes really of just sitting there and like calming my breath. And I was like, okay, okay. So then whatever. We filmed it. And then I saw the footage and I was like, ooh, I look pretty good. Yeah. And we kind of joked. We joked. I was like, this should be my campaign announcement video. Oh, my God. And then it was like, no, they probably can't. They're not ready for that. You know, knowing the typical primary voter base is older, right? Yeah. Uh, more traditional, uh-huh. more conservative. And uh, so I was like, no, I need to get out there and actually tell them, hey, I'm an oil and gas lawyer. Here's all my qualifications before I go springing a naked pump jack. On right. right. So right. <laughs> fast forward to January, we had that geyser show up right outside the ranch that was 150 feet tall. It spewed, it looked like Old Faithful for three weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, salty, brine water, nasty. And, um, I real I got so much attention because it was the visual, right? Right. Society today, we have a sh- very short attention span, mm-hmm. and we're so used to flipping, scrolling, and if it's not visually, if it doesn't just like suck you in, yeah, it right next. Yeah, it, it just you know it fades into the void with everything right. else. And so I started to get some really good traction because it was really really fucked up situation about what was happening. Yeah. And I thought, okay. Now's the time. So Super Bowl Sunday, I got on my little splice app. I do, 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 and oh five God. seconds of, you know. Glory. Five <laughs> seconds of glory. Of my just silliness. God. But, you know, yeah. it's just the dichotomy of it, right? My right. intention was, if you've ever been in the oil field, you know how bawdy it is and very much double entendres. We are like middle school boys out there giggling about, <laughs> you know, the, the acronyms of yeah. pulling out of the hole is poo and you nipple up to things. And, you know, it's just, yeah. um, and so you have to have a sense of humor on yeah. that. And then really it's the naked truth. Like I am not traditional, um, but I don't have any secrets and I am prepared to defend my decisions. I think, um, and I'm prepared to go to battle on the things that matter and to not sweat the small stuff. And so I think that that's all visually there. And so I got everyone's attention. I mean, we had international news, right? Like, so we woke up one morning and Hawk's been driving me around. He's an international well control guy. And he's like, well, you're in Dubai today. And then, you know, two days later, it's like, well, you're in France and now you're in Brazil. And so 
it got international attention and it's like, great, now let's talk about the issues. Yes. We produce 15 to 20 million barrels of produced water a day. It has to go somewhere. Where is it going? We're injecting it. It's causing earthquakes, right? Like we've got all these things that we have to talk about. Right. And I feel like we're at a point now where big tobacco, asbestos, right? They had years and years of buildup of issues mm -hmm. and then it all came to light and it drastically changed the way big tobacco was right yeah. then it drastically changed we like basically got rid of asbestos yeah but we can't get rid of hydrocarbons right so we are at a breaking point where we have issues mm -hmm. we are also under attack i mean joe biden said two years ago we no new drilling we are going to end drilling well guess what we can't do that because then that means 20 dollars a gallon gas yeah yeah right so yeah. um but we've been under attack and the Green New Deal and people who don't, again, don't understand the realities of modern day life mm -hmm. and what it takes to create this. It's like, yeah, but you can't live like this without hydrocarbons. So make a right. decision. Do we want to go back to, you know, like horse and buggy and no, yeah, no, that's super green. Horse and buggy, right? super green, yeah. But we I also, think we do that. right, like, <laughs> I, I, um, I enjoy my hot yoga sessions, yeah. you know? Like. <laughs> Absolutely, I enjoy my air conditioning and yeah. I enjoy my lights. And um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot that, that I think, you know, gets lost in the messaging because it is so popular nowadays to wrap yourselves in, you know, to wrap ourselves in that green, you know, um, just that green robe you know here we are we are we're all about the we're all about the planet we're all about the people and that feels really good but then we forget about all of the things that make it go and when all the systems in place right and i think by having smart people in office like you to help us understand what the real ramifications are for the we're, we totally got to go green you know helping us understand helping texans understand what the path forward is to a more sustainable greener future right. i mean that's the way we're going to get there right. you know not by having the green party fighting against the republican party um, so tell me about the incumbent how long has he been in office what has he uh, what has he done for texans and why do we need to get him out of there <laughs> so the incumbent is a 70 something year old financial planner from east texas okay. he was in the state house of representatives for several terms he lost his seat in the last redistricting ran unsuccessfully for a couple other spots then was kind of blessed by the establishment for in 2016 for the railroad commissioner it's mm. a six-year term mm. so 2016, he runs on a pro-life platform mm. because that's what the polling showed statewide Republican primary voters cared about in 2016. Okay. He has no jurisdiction over anything to do with our uteruses, but that's how he won. Wow. And he won by a very narrow margin. So he has no oil and gas experience. He... <laughs> he has no oil and gas experience. I just want to just make sure that, that we don't gloss over that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but he is a Grammy nominated uh, gospel singer. So if you are looking for a gospel singer, he is your man. Um, but no. And, you know, he denies that climate change exists. He thinks that ESG is like a Marxist term. I'm right. It's ESG. Um, oh, sorry. So that's environmental social governance. Uh, and so it's it's a movement to recognize that we should be basically Wall Street needs to be considering things other than bottom line profits. We need to look at what we're doing environmentally, socially and 
governing wise. Yeah. And uh, people have again. It's one of those things that's become politicized, like critical race theory. Right? right. If you, if I guarantee you, if you walk into a room of Republicans or Democrats and you say, "Would you like your child to learn accurate history in school?" Both sides will say yes. Great. Yeah. Okay. So then let's stop taking terms and polarizing them and making people hate each other for something that they really don't fundamentally disagree about. Right. But we create conflict because guess what? That's what creates media attention. That's what sells ads. And now here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so with your, you know, um, with, with the other guy running on a pro-life platform, he was just playing into that game. He was just playing into that game. The numbers. Half the people didn't even know why they were voting for him. They don't know what they're, right? I mean, as evidenced by this last primary, uh, one of the candidates, there was five of us on the ballot, one of them died tragically in a car wreck three weeks before the election. And his name was still on the ballot. So 200,000 people voted for him. Wow. And so much of that is they go in, they don't know what they do, and they pick a name. Yes. They pick a name. I was so happy to see your name on the top. It, it oh. depends. Each county is different. Oh, so you draw for a ballot position. So some places I was on top, some places I'm in the middle, some places I'm at the end. You never know. Okay, okay. Well, in my county, you were on top. Nice. It was very good to see. It was easy, easy vote. <laughs> um, okay, so you forced him into a runoff. When does that happen? May 24th. May 24th, and it's just you and him. Me, and 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 this is one of the things. So his catch line is. Wayne Christian, I'm the only Christian on the ballot. Uh, his last you name. You raised me up. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So he's the only Christian on the ballot, but you're the only one with actual oil and gas experience on the ballot. Yeah, he's the only one with the last name Christian. I think that should be your tagline. Yeah. The only one with actual experience on the ballot. <laughs> oh, God, I love that. So... Um, paint me a picture, if, if you don't mind, you know, indulging me, um, of, of what could Texas look like if we were to, of, of course, if, if you were to step into the role of railroad commissioner, um, how do you see things going? What, what, what are the first couple things you're going to fix? Yeah, so the problem is, is there's three commissioners. I will be one of three. Okay. So I'll be a minority. Mm-hmm. So I can't really do anything. Um, I can't do anything on my own. What I can do is I can immediately bring transparency. Mm -hmm. So under the rules, interestingly enough, those three commissioners are not allowed to talk to each other except for in public meetings. Mm. The intent is to make sure that they're not colluding behind closed doors and discussing things and the public doesn't have a chance to participate. Sure. That has been bastardized. So what ends up happening is there's three commissioners. They each have a chief of staff. And so the three chiefs of staff will go sit in one commissioner's office and have a meeting with that one commissioner. And then they go commissioner to commissioner. And so it's basically like a game of telephone. Wow. And then wow. if you watch, they have two meetings a month. They're always online. You can watch them. And there'll be three or 400 things on the agenda. And then the meeting will last 30 minutes. And they literally get in there and it's like a script. And then they've got a consent agenda. And it all, it's just... And if the only things that get contested is when one operator will file a request for a permit or something like, I want to inject this much water. And then landowners don't get notice about that. They don't understand. They don't have 
the knowledge to understand what's happening. Right. Or usually the money to go and hire their own experts to look into it and then fight it. Mm-hmm. So you need another operator to fight that operator. But when an oper- when one operator goes to the Railroad Commission and says, hey, we want to do this, it's like a rubber stamp process most of the time. And an operator is like Shell Oil Corporation. Yeah. Chevron. Any, any of those. Any yeah. of those. And there's, okay. we have thousands of operators in the state of Texas. And the, the sad thing is, is the about a third of our Texas economy is related to the oil and gas industry, right? Mm-hmm. The Railroad Commission's budget is over $100 million a year. Half of that goes to plugging wells that operators didn't properly plug. So in what world are you given a job? Your job as the Railroad Commissioner is to oversee the oil and gas industry and make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Part of that includes properly plugging out wells. Half of your budget is because you didn't do this job, you're now paying somebody else to go and plug those wells. And let me tell you, they're doing a really shitty job at it. Wow, and that's taxpayer money. Yeah, so they, there's a bonding requirement for okay. wells, but it's not nearly enough. Okay. So the highest bond is $250,000, and it can cost $250,000 to plug one well. And so if you've got 100,000 wells in the state of Texas, the maximum bond that you're required to post is $250,000. So that's not nearly enough. That's Mm -hmm. one well. Mm -mm. That's one well. We've got 99, and so we have to figure out a solution for those other wells, and that's where that you know, the money, the the outlay of money goes. Right. Okay, so you're going to add more transparency? Transparency, absolutely. Great. And then I hope to do things like, for example, if you get audited by the IRS, there is a taxpayer liaison that kind of helps walk you through that process. So they are employed by the IRS, but their job is to talk to you as the taxpayer and say, hey, you know, here's what's going to happen. They help you understand the rules and help guide you through that process. I would love to set something up like that for the Railroad Commission, for landowners, for yes. you know, people other than the oil and gas companies so that they can be participating in the process. But right. we've got to get the information to all stakeholders. And everyone who has an interest needs to be part of the part of the discussion and the decision-making process. So if it's your land and there's decisions impacting your land, you should be involved. I think so. Right? I think so. And then I want to yeah. also really create a safe space for sharing of information. Because unfortunately, what has happened over the years is everyone is afraid of being sued. And so there is a silo of information. So when bad things happen, what we should be doing is figuring out what happened, why it happened, and then how do we avoid it? And let's share information and let's fix it. But instead what's happened is something bad happens and there is like a cutoff of communication. Mm. Everyone lawyers up. Everything is cloaked under privilege. Then people sue. And then the same shit keeps happening because they're not fixing it because no one wants to admit or talk about what the problems are. And so, wow. and, and when you have issues subsurface below a well, right, we need to be sharing information. Like if this operator over here had these issues, mm-hmm. then let's learn from that so that this operator, if this one contaminated the groundwater, let's learn from that and not contaminate the groundwater over here. Right, right. Let's improve the systems yeah. that we have in place um, because... Uh, one, I mean, it's just it's just fascinating to me. I love having a pro-cannabis candidate in this position because it seems like such an opposite. I mean, it just seems like the antithesis of oil and gas. Um, but it, it feels a lot like what you're telling me feels a lot 
like how the cannabis industry is operating and working to operate, sharing information, what works here might not work here, um, to grow you know, the industry and make it stronger and-, and Exactly, you know, and I've been powerful. saying, I wanna use all of our lessons learned in the oil and gas industry from a risk allocation standpoint mm -hmm. of, right? Uh, per, okay, example. Let's say you've got a grow and you've got 10 different cultivars that you're growing and you've got 10 different investors. Maybe each investor wants their one cultivar, or maybe each investor wants 10% of each of the cultivars. And then say you come out with a new one, and you're like, hey, we're gonna grow a new room of this 11th. Do you want in? Like, do you wanna participate? Here's, right, and that's called like a joint operating agreement in mm -hmm. oil and gas. That's what we do with oil wells. Mm -hmm. So hey, you guys all own an interest in this lease. We're gonna drill a new well. You in or you out? kind of thing right and then when everyone wins everyone wins yes. but it, right and then there's but things change and you can allocate risk you could have essentially people that want to be able to invest in cannabis but don't have the wherewithal of actually wanting to be able to grow it they don't want to operate it right it could be a non-operating working interest owner which is what we call people that have an interest in wells but they're not actually out there day to day they right. just send money and they get money right like these are insurance um, people getting hurt, property getting damaged, crops getting lost, uh, original seeds, insuring those, right? Like there's all these things that we could learn from. We, we don't have to make the same mistakes, but it takes people getting involved and talking about right. it. And they're like, oh yeah, I see. So yeah, it's just really injecting that common sense. And <clears throat> what we've learned over the past you know, decade to 15 years um, as cannabis is becoming online, um, we've been learning so much about oil and gas, but it sounds like we're not sharing that knowledge and we're not we're not learning from it and improving upon it. We're just kind of doing the same old, same old. Sarah, give me an idea of how big the um, oil and gas industry is in Texas <clears throat> and as a result, you know, for the for the globe. If Texas was its own nation, we would be the fourth largest oil and gas producing nation in the world. A third of our economy is related to the oil and gas. That's incredible. That's incredible. And, right, I mean, with That's this Russian-Ukraine thing, I think what we've seen is mm -hmm. it's vital for national defense. And we can help prevent inflation. We can help, right? Oh, yes. But, uh, again, you have to understand what actually happens. And so in Texas... For example, our, the sweet crude that we produce, like West Texas Intermediate in mm -hmm. West Texas, mm -hmm. there's different, it's called gravities. And so there's different colors and, and ranks and types of crude. And it's like really, for example, like really dark, sludgy, La Brea tar pits type mm -hmm. asphaltines, right? Really, really heavy to the really light gas hydrocarbons. And so the, mm -hmm. the crude that we produce in Texas is sweeter, lighter. The refineries that we have are made for the heavier, darker stuff. Hmm. And so that's why the pipeline coming from Canada was important hmm. because the Trans-Canada pipeline brings that heavy stuff from the tar sands in Canada and it brings it down to the Gulf Coast to our refineries. Whereas our crude gets exported to other places where they have refineries to get processed. Oh, wow. So we couldn't just be like wiggle our noses and all of a sudden be taking our Texas crude and refining it for Texas gas. We'd have to 
really significantly modify our refineries, okay. which triggers national federal permitting under EPA, which triggers 2022 environmental standards. There's a reason we haven't permitted any new refineries in like 30 years. Wow. So, right, that's a matter of federal- Should we? Or can we? Uh, I mean, it sounds like we it, can. It sounds like there's a system, you know, a pathway to it. Right, we but. can. I would say it's probably not economical in today's climate to create a new facility under current environmental regulations. And so probably what we need to look at is environmental regulations. And unfortunately, oil and gas operations are exempt from most environmental protection agency rules. So hydrocarbons byproducts are not regulated the same way as, for example, a dry cleaner. If you remember back in the 80s, dry cleaning and underground storage tanks at gas stations, we had a lot of leaching and problems. Mm -hmm. And so we had specific rules, but oil and gas was seen as such an important issue and topic and product that they are exempted from a lot of those EPA standards on the exploration and production side. But on the refining and the processing side, we still have to get Clean Air Act permits, right? Mm. You still have to follow, and so, is it possible? Yes, but we need to rethink our entire regulatory scheme and no one wants to do that. No. Because we shouldn't be exempting it the same way that we always have anymore. It's clear it's not working. God, I'm so glad you're tackling this issue, Sarah. I'm like, I really am. I really Thanks. am. I mean, you know, I've, I've never had a, a conversation that I could follow about oil and gas in Texas. You know, we get information here and information there, um, but it does seem like Either no one wants to talk about it or no one can talk about it because they don't understand how complex it is. Yeah, right. There's no simple answers. No. And everything has kind of a domino effect right. when you look at it. Right. And there's no easy answers. I mean. Wow. Okay. So before we wrap up, okay. I ask all of my guests the same three questions. And you will not be exempt from those questions, my dear. Um, first question is, tell me your dream smoke circle, dead or alive, three people. Ooh, Janice Joplin. Yes. Probably Bob Marley. Mm. And Willie Nelson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. Love it. Um, very musical. Yes. Very musical smoke circle. Um, okay, second question is this. What other woman in the cannabis space is inspiring you right now? Susan Suarez. Tell me more about Susan. Okay, so we met on Clubhouse, yes, too. Yes, yes. And I know who she is, but for yeah. the audience. And um, she's in California, and she was kind of a born-again Christian. My understanding is she's born-again Christian, very anti-cannabis, had a medical issue, and realized the health benefits and really has found comfort. And so she wrote a book, and it's called What's Growing in Grandma's Garden. And I bought it for my daughter. Oh. And we read it. And I think she is just, it gives me chill bumps because she is one of those women that went beyond preconceived notions and biases and that reefer madness right. generation right? and is out there learning the new technology, getting on the apps, right? And yeah. she's the cutest. I love her to death. And I just think it's going to take more and it, it, it is women. It is the future of women, right? Sean from mm -hmm. Clubhouse, mm -hmm. who's 
post like it's just being vulnerable and authentic and yeah. so yeah i think that the future is bright because of women yes the future is feminine and bringing that love right like we are and i hate generalizing and stereotypes but in general like men handle conflict by like killing it <laughs> <laughs> right stumbling it out keep it on going eliminate it and <laughs> yeah. and women i feel like handle we we evolutionarily didn't have that physical capacity, right? Like, we're right. just... Can't kill you, so and we're going to figure like it out. And I feel like also because we bring life into the world, we're yeah. a little bit more, like, wanting to nurturing that. Right. Um, and I think we just need more love. Yeah. And, like, more female influence across of that energy. Like, just that feminine, vibrant, loving energy. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Okay. So, last question. What advice were you, would you give to 13-year-old Sarah Stogner? Oh, yeah. Um, one, you are enough, just as you are. And you are never going to fit in, and that is okay. Like, just embrace that and be you. And that's not just for me. That's anybody. Right. Right? And that I was always the nerd. I always sat in the front of the class. I was always asking questions. And people would say, oh, you don't understand or you don't get it. And the first few years of my life, I would listen to that because we're taught, right, people, teachers, et cetera, authority, mm -hmm. that they know. Right. But they don't. And now that I'm a mom and a lawyer, and like, I oh, should, I don't know, like, <laughs> there's no instruction manual at this, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Right? And so I think it's just continue to ask the questions, continue to follow your curiosities, and you'll, like, make a positive change in the world. Absolutely. That's great advice. Yeah, for 13, 31 81. Um, great advice. Great advice. Well, Sarah, I, um, I'm, you inspire me. Aw, you thanks. You too. Me. And when I saw your campaign, your Blockbuster campaign video, you inspired me even more. Aw, thanks. Because I know you've, you've also probably faced a little backlash from that um, because it, it was a shocking video. It got people's attention. And um, the way that you've handled yourself, I've seen some of the way that you have You've replied to negative comments in such a classy, diplomatic, understanding, and loving way um, that you are the future. You are the future oh, of this thanks. state. And, and yeah, you, you got me. I got your back, girl. I got your back. Appreciate it. And so May 24th is the date? May 24th. Please get out and vote. Every vote counts. Look, uh, and no one wants to show up. No one shows up in primary runoffs. It's like the least attended voting, right? right? So literally every vote counts. And if we're, we've got 20 million people in Texas. Yeah. Like if we can get 2 million people to show up, we win. Yes. So, and it's just you and 10 of your friends. And if everyone that's listening can get 10 of their friends to show up, like we win. That's it. We win. We win. And we will have Sarah Stogner, Stogner as our railroad commissioner, a new face, somebody who is accessible, somebody who's transparent, somebody, um, you know, who, who looks like us. And when I say us, I mean Texas, okay? But not 70 years old, not 80 years old, but, um, you know, has a lot of life left and can make a huge impact um, in this state. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm Thanks. excited to see what happens. Yeah. And, and even though I won't have any jurisdiction over cannabis, I'm going to be talking to lawmakers. I'm already talking to lawmakers yes. about the issues. And it's what we we need more people who are willing to talk about it to destigmatize it. And that's the future. And then write your, you know, write your that's elected right. officials. Normal, normal has great um, 
Like those scripts? Scripts. Oh gosh, I cut and paste all the time. Right? <laughs> yeah. And just add a little bit at the front of some individualism mm -hmm. so that they don't, but we, we have to start and, and every to. voice matters. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, what's my one letter going to do? Well, if everyone thinks that, no letters get sent. Right, right. So it is important. Right. And it's, it, it is important to have people in positions of power who, um, who believe the same that we believe, even though you may not have any jurisdiction over Texas. Um, you know, you're going to be making a lot of friends and, and be wielding a lot of influence. And for people to know that you are pro-cannabis for Texas, um, I think that'll change a lot of hearts and minds. So, man, we're fighting for you, sister. Thanks. We are. Yay! Thank you for coming. Thanks. If you'd like more, subscribe to the Feminized Podcast on YouTube. Follow at Feminized with Liz Rowe on Instagram. Special thanks to our sponsors, Moose Labs and Richard's Rainwater. The Feminized Podcast is a Grow House Media production created by Liz Rowe, produced by Patrick Pope and Dennis Rowe, with original theme music and audio mixing by Q at Q to King Productions in New Braunfels, Texas.